Well, once again, let me uh, welcome you here to Big Valley Grace, especially those of you that are visiting with us. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can open it up to Romans uh, chapter one. If you don't have a, a Bible, all of the verses and stuff will be in your program. They'll come up on the Jumbotron. And if you don't have a Bible, you can go into the altar room afterwards here, or you can go into the altar room over in the venue, and I welcome you over there. Or if you're watching online, you're listening on the radio, you could call the church on Tuesday. We're closed on Monday for the holiday and say, I'd like a Bible, and we would love to put one in your hands, really. Uh, part of uh, our, our giving goes to buy lots of Bibles, and we love to give away the, the Word of God um, here. It's a pretty neat moment to see someone like Lisa, who uh, I've literally known since she was just a kid, little kid. She was in the youth department when I was the youth pastor, and uh, she's grown up into somebody who's not ashamed of the gospel, and uh, married somebody who wasn't ashamed of the gospel, and together with their families are making a pretty, pretty big sacrifice. Uh, I got the feeling, uh, the wage that he made as a doctor is more than he's going to make at Wycliffe Bible Translators. But God will meet his needs, and Lisa's needs, and the family's needs. And um, I wonder who the next person is that God is going to uh, touch your life in such a way, and you'll respond in humility and maybe begin a long process. They just didn't say, hey, last weekend, I'd like to go away. I mean, this is a long process that they've been through. Years. And I wonder who the next person is. I pray for that. Might be you. And uh, God needs people out there all over the world who aren't ashamed of the gospel. Today we're gonna begin a study of what many scholars consider to be the greatest letter ever written. In fact, some people would say that it's the most profound piece of literature in existence. Now, I don't know whether that's true or not, but I do know this. It would be impossible to calculate the, the book of Romans' influence upon the world. Martin Luther started the Reformation because of the book of Romans. John Wesley started the Wesleyan revivals because of it. Methodism basically began out of that. Augustine became a Christian because of the book of Romans. John Knox, and I posted this on my Facebook page, who was one of the leaders of the Ref Reformation said, quote, the book of Romans is unquestionably the most important theological work ever written. And I don't know whether that's true or not, but I do know that the book of Romans is a profound book. Without a doubt, Romans chapter one, verses 16 and 17 are the key verses in the book. It says this in verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says. I'm not ashamed of the story of Jesus revealed between these two leather-bound covers. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of the fact that Jesus came and lived and died on a cross and was buried and three days later was resurrected. I'm not ashamed of the story of Jesus Christ. For it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentiles. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And beloved, that's gonna be our memory verse this week and next week. If you name the name of Jesus, you ought to have Romans 1, 16 and 17 memorized, okay? For those of you that are brand new in the faith, maybe you came to Christ last week, this would be a great verse to memorize as your first verse. For some of you, maybe you've known the Lord for decades, you memorized this verse a long time ago like I did, and when I started thinking about this study, all of a sudden I went, you know what, I need to re-memorize that passage. 
And so for you old timers that have walked with Christ a long time and you're used to memorizing the word of God, why don't you reacquaint yourself with this? Write it down on a three by five card, stick it in your bathroom when you're shaving, when you're putting on your makeup, brushing your teeth, there it is. Put it in your car maybe and you stop at a red light and you got a minute to burn there. And you can listen to some crummy music or just drag your soul to a crummy place, or you could just stop and say, okay, what, what, what a neat moment for me to you know, feed my soul with the, the, the word of God. I want you to think about the person or the persons who shared the gospel with you. They shared the good news with you. They, they, they weren't ashamed of Jesus. They weren't ashamed of the message that's revealed between these two leather-bound covers. And they shared the story with you. Probably was a number of people. For some of you, it might have been your mother, maybe when you were younger. She wasn't ashamed of the gospel. She knew the power of the gospel. And she took the time to share it with you. Maybe it was your grandma. Could have been somebody in, in a Sunday school class, some teacher who, who wasn't ashamed of the gospel to the degree that they served in a church and maybe in the third grade Sunday school class that you were in, they just told you about Jesus. Could have been somebody you heard on the radio, somebody like a J. Vernon McGee, could have been a Billy Graham, somebody who wasn't ashamed of the gospel. In fact, they were so unashamed of it, they, they started radio programs. They wanted to get the word out there. Maybe you saw somebody on TV. Maybe you went to a camp. And there was a camp speaker who wasn't ashamed of the gospel, and so they got up and talked freely and boldly about Christ. Maybe it was right here at Big Valley Grace in our men's ministry, our women's ministries. Maybe it was you, you, you came here at an Easter service or you came at a, at a you know, Christmas gathering and you heard the gospel and somehow that ignited the faith within you. Who is that person? Who are those people in your life? I want you to think about them right now. While you're doing that, I want you to watch this video right here, okay? If you knew me three years ago, you might not recognize me today. You might know my face or my voice, but you wouldn't recognize who I am, who I've become. Three years ago, my best friend invited me to Big Valley Grace to hear a man named Lee Strobel speak. That night he talked about God and what God meant to him and talked about Christ. I knew who Christ was, I knew who God was, but listening to Lee talk that night and just the power that God had given him and the things that he had discovered were things that I'd never heard before. And that night Lee talked about his family and the things that he'd gone through. And just listening to you, there was so much that I could relate to that after a point, I just felt like I was hit in the chest. I realized that there was something more. I realized that really the only place I had to look was up. There's a scripture, it's Mark 8, 3, 5. It says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, for the gospel, will save it. That night sitting in the chair, I knew I had to make a choice to try and save my own life by my own power, which really wasn't working at all, or to yield my life to him and his power, the power of the gospel. From that day forward, my life has never been the same. If you would have known me three years ago and heard that I was doing kids' Bible studies or that I was working in a cafe serving coffee at church, or working with kindergartners, uh, to hear me tell you that I did that, you'd laugh. And that's, that's just how I know that that's God's power in me. Those are things that I would never do on my own. I wouldn't wake up and consciously decide to do those things. With men's ministry, one of the things I do is I call the new guys that come into men's and welcome them. and simply ask if there's anything I can be praying for them for. And I think that's what humbles me the most, that again, God using me in ways I would have never even imagined. Guys that have never been able to experience God's word, 
Um, I want them to experience the same changes I've had in my life, you know, experience the gospel in ways they maybe you've never heard before. That's how I know that God's power is in me, that He's working through me and using me in ways that I, I still don't understand today, but I just know it's God's power. My name is Larry Tuning, and I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You know, one of the things that we're going to do is over the course of this study, which could take a couple of years, I don't really know how long it's going to take. Obviously, we'll have some breaks for Christmas and all those kinds of things, but we want to have a video like that where you get to meet somebody in our church who has been impacted by the gospel. And I don't know who Larry's friend was, but somebody wasn't ashamed of the gospel. And they said, Larry, I want you to come to church with me. And Larry shows up here, and we happen to have a guest speaker that day, Lee Strobel, who's not ashamed of the gospel. And Lee does his best to unpack the word of God, and God uses his word to ignite this faith within Larry. And today, uh, many of us have been blessed by his life. And that's true for all of us who name the name of Christ. Somebody wasn't ashamed of the gospel. And they talked about Jesus with us. Somebody invited you here today, maybe, because you weren't, because they weren't ashamed of the gospel. And so I do want you to maybe think about those that shared Christ with you and who you might be willing to share Christ with. And let me share with you one thing that will help you get the most, I think, out of our time in the study of this, this uh, letter, this book. And that is to, to bring a prepared heart each week. And how do you do that? Well, let me give you a couple thoughts. One would be to read the, the book of Romans uh, throughout the, the week. You know we're gonna be in chapter one for a while, obviously, and so maybe on your lunch hour or you wake up in the morning having some coffee or whatever, just sit down and read Romans chapter one or at least a piece of it. Just read it. Another way would be to pray. Ask the great teacher, the Holy Spirit who lives within you to help you understand the word of God. That'd be another great way to prepare yourself. Pray that when you arrive here that, um, that you would have the spiritual eyes and the spiritual ears to, to hear what the Lord would want you to hear. Prayer would be a, a great way to have your hearts uh, prepared. Another way would be to take this little note sheet that we prepare for you each week. And you can see right up at the top, it says we're in part one of Romans, which is basically Romans 1 through about Romans 3.20, the, 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 the problem or the dilemma, which is sin. And so um, you can take this, and I, I, there's no fill in the blanks. I literally am just giving you the notes and the, and the verses. I, I want you to have it all together. And you could take this home and it would be really easy for you to um, go over it, rehearse it in your mind. I'd have left you a little bit of room so you can write some notes of maybe some things that were, were said. But I'm making this really, really easy for you. We put holes in it. You could go and put this in a little booklet and kind of keep track of it. You could do the daily meditation page, which kind of goes right along with what we're talking about. Obviously, I'm not gonna touch on everything that the passage might have. And so we have a, a, a daily meditation page that gets you back into the Word of God where you can kind of meditate on what we're gonna be talking about through the series. And that would be a great way to help you get the most out of this. I don't want you just to come and sit here and look at the back of someone's neck for an hour and a half and then leave. God doesn't want that. God saved you for a purpose. And one of those things is that you would be more and more like his son. And I want you to get the most out of it. Let me give you one more thought, okay? And I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings here, but I know I'm going to. But that would be this. Get here on time. I think a lot of people in the American church are like Dodger fans. 
They get here about two innings, you know, after the game starts, and they leave about two innings before the game's over with. And, and here's the deal. There's a lie out there, and some of you kind of have bought into this. And listen, and that is, it's, it's the preaching that's all that matters. And so like, who cares whether I get there for all the other stuff? And that's just, that's crazy thinking. Yes, the preaching of the word is the centerpiece of a church uh, uh, gathering. There's no doubt about it. But as Martin Luther said, the music is kind of like the handmaiden of the message. The music that we sing prepares our heart. The communion is an unbelievable thing that gets our minds on spiritual things. When we obey the Lord in our giving, that moment is an important moment. The fellowship of believers is an important thing. And so, you know, set your clock, get up, and get here on time. Now, one of the things that I think the devil did, he, he got his uh, research and development department together, you know, the R&D department together, and he came up with something that is just demonic, and that is the snooze button. I'm telling you, it's demonic. <laughs> the alarm goes off, and you're supposed to get up. <laughs> yeah. And you do that about five times, and the next thing you know, you're rushing to get out the door, you show up here 15 minutes late, you're tired, it's just, nothing goes right. Now I realize life is gonna happen. You get up, you're on time, you're walking out the door, you got your two-year-old and he spills, you know, chocolate milk all over himself. I'm not talking about those moments. I get it, I, I get it, life happens. I'm just talking about, this is an important moment for believers, the gathering together of the saints on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night. And you ought to be prepared for this moment. Be prepared, get here, sit down, fellowship with people around you. Maybe read the scriptures, pray, God, would you work in my life? Would you work in my spouse's life? Hey, my kid's sitting right next to me. Would you work in her life, his life, whatever it might be? Pray for your parents. Man, I pray for my mom and dad right now. They're sitting up in the balcony, you know? I pray, God, you'd speak to them today. That'd be a good thing to do. And I'll tell you what, you put some of these things into practice and I guarantee you this is gonna... Uh, be a time where your life will be more and more transformed into the image of Christ. So here we go. Everybody look at verse one. In fact, look at the very first word of verse one. Paul. Paul. You know, you, you can't start a book, uh, you know, study of the book of Romans without dealing with this incredible man, Paul. Who was he? Well, you know, he was our brother in the Lord. There's gonna come a moment when we all take our last breath and we're gonna be in heaven if you know Christ as your savior. And yes, you're gonna be reacquainted with those loved ones that have died before you and all of that kind of stuff who have known the Lord and the greatest thing about heaven you know, isn't that you get to see your Uncle Joe again, but, but Jesus is going to be there. But one of the bennies is you're going to see your loved ones again. And we're going to be able to sit around and have a conversation with this man, Paul. He's our brother in the Lord. He's had an unbelievable impact on all of our lives. In my humble opinion, next to Jesus Christ, nobody has had a greater impact on the world than, than, than Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament. He almost single-handedly took the gospel across the Roman Empire. He was an incredible church planter. Dr. MacArthur said this, quote, Paul was God's keynote speaker. And I loved that when I read it because it kind of gave us a modern day kind of image, if you will. We've all probably been to a conference or we've heard about a conference and they have all kinds of speakers that are important and they all add something to whatever the conference is or is about, but there's always the keynote speaker. There's always, you know, that number four hitter kind of a guy. And as Dr. MacArthur said, and I think he's accurate, Paul was God's keynote speaker. Now I want you to know a little bit about him because some of you don't know much uh, about him. He was the product of three cultures. And um, these things are all gonna come together to make him the perfect 
man to be God's keynote speaker. Number one, Paul, by race and religion, was a Hebrew. Philippians chapter three, Paul kind of says this about himself. He said, I, I, if anyone else, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I was somebody who persecuted the church. As to righteousness under the law, Paul says, I was blameless. Basically, what Paul is saying here is that he was the ultimate Jew. He was a, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a, a Pharisee, which was the strictest religious sect. In verse six of Philippians there, it says, as to zeal, Paul says, I was a persecutor of the church. Now, what does that mean? Well, before Paul became a follower of Jesus, he literally hated Christians. He was a, a part of actually killing Christians. In Acts chapter seven, our brother Stephen was preaching the gospel and the religious leaders went crazy over it. In fact, they went so crazy that they actually killed him. And we find Paul right in the middle of it all. Acts chapter seven, verse 57 says, then they, that's the religious leaders, put their hands over their ears and they began shouting. So here's our brother. Stephen isn't just some character in the Bible. He's our brother in the Lord. He wasn't ashamed of the gospel. And here he is telling people about Jesus. And the religious leaders just go ballistic. I don't want to hear it. They're covering their ears and shouting. They don't want to hear this, this gospel. They rushed at him. They rushed at Stephen, our brother. They dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and they laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. This was Paul. His name used to be Saul and then he changed it. There was Paul. Hey boys, give me your coats. Go to work. If I didn't have to hold your coats, keep them from getting dirty. I'd be picking up some rocks too. Beloved Paul was probably the most unlikely person to ever become a Christian. Yet in Acts chapter nine, while Paul was on the road to a city called Damascus, getting ready to persecute and kill more Christians, God had a little conversation with him. Acts chapter nine says this, but Saul, that's Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, anybody who was a Christian, anybody who was a follower of Christ, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. This guy's on a witch hunt. Paul's going to the synagogue saying, hey, listen, I'm trying to find out some information here. I want to know who's a Christian. I want to find out who they are. And I don't care whether it's a man or a woman. I want to know who they are so I can take them, you know, uh, back to Jerusalem and, you know, we, we can pull a Stephen on them, if you will. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul said, well, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And at that moment, everything changed in his life. At that moment, Paul um, is converted, if you will. His life begins to change. He meets the living God. And one of the things I want you to notice, Christian, is this. And you gotta think about this. Paul had never met Jesus. They had never met. 
By the time Jesus dies on the cross, is put in the tomb, and is resurrected, they had never met, never had a conversation. And yet, isn't it interesting what Jesus says to Paul? Paul, why are you persecuting Stephen? Ooh, he didn't say that. Paul, why are you persecuting uh, uh, Christians? He didn't say that. He says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? In other words, when Stephen was being killed, when Christians are being persecuted, guess what? It's as if Jesus himself is being persecuted. Listen, Christian, when you're not ashamed of the gospel, when you are willing to talk about Jesus Christ and the, the story of redemption found between these two leather-bound covers, and you are persecuted for it, whether you, you lose your life or not, Jesus sees it, and actually, it's him Jesus, who's being persecuted. You're his bride. You're, you're the church. And when you are persecuted, you need to think of it as it's actually Jesus who's being persecuted, and Jesus actually sees it. Now, this passage always encourages me because I know people, and I bet you do too, that are totally hostile to Jesus Christ and, 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 and Christians right now. And this passage ought to give us all a, a bunch of hope. You see, nobody was more hostile to Jesus or Christianity or whatever than Paul was. And yet there comes this moment when God opens his eyes his spiritual eyes and, and invades his life. So don't ever give up on your crazy Uncle Bill. Don't ever give up on that person in your life, a family member, your spouse, your children, your, your parents, that person you work with, your boss, an employee, who right now is totally hostile to the things of God. Don't ever give up on him. Don't ever be ashamed of the gospel. Because if the gospel can change Paul's life, and it did, it can change anybody's life. So Paul was a, a Hebrew by race and religion. Number two, Paul was a Greek by culture. In Acts chapter 21, we're told that he was born in the city of Tarshish, which was a seaport on the coast of Turkey. It had one of the largest libraries in the known world. And there's no doubt that Paul took advantage of this library often because he was a highly educated man. And you can't miss that as you read through the letters that he wrote. He spoke Greek fluently, which was important because it was the universal language at the time. So by race and religion, Paul was a Hebrew, and by culture, he was a Greek. And, and number three, Paul politically, if you will, was a Roman citizen. Now, he had never been to Rome, but he was a part of the Roman Empire. Now, this was critical because being a Roman citizen gave you incredible access to the Roman Empire that a non-citizen would not have had. Now, when you put these three things together, the fact that Paul, by race and religion, was a Hebrew and that he was Greek by culture and that politically he was a Roman citizen, he was perfectly equipped to be the international minister of the gospel to the different countries around the Roman Empire. In other words, God had equipped Paul with everything he'd need to fulfill the mission that he had for him. And here's the deal, brothers, sisters. The same thing is true for you. God has put you together just the way you are. And he has an assignment for you that you're perfect for absolutely perfect for. And you need to remember that. Yes, you can look at the life of Paul and you can look at these three things and go, wow, that, wow, no wonder he was used in such incredible ways. And he was. But guess what? You were created by God in your mama's womb. 
The Bible says he gave you at least one spiritual gift. You're perfectly suited to do whatever it is that God has, has called you to do, whatever that might, might be. Now look back at verse one again. Verse one says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Now, Paul had never been to Rome, never been there. Verse 13 of chapter one tells us that. So he's writing to a group of people, Christians, who, who knew very little about him. It's almost like, um, as the senior pastor here, I get a lot of free things, especially books. And sometimes I'll open up a book, and if the book's by John MacArthur, you know what, I know John MacArthur. I don't need a cover letter telling me who he is. If a book's written by, I don't know, Billy Graham, I, I don't need a cover letter that tells me about Billy Graham. I know who Billy Graham is. But uh, in the world we live in today, anybody can write a book, self-publish a book, and so sometimes I'll open it up and it'll say, you know, Pastor Billy Doogood. Who's Billy Doogood? And so they always include a letter. And what Billy Doogood is doing is telling me, here's who I am. Here's why you ought to read this book. Here, here are my credentials, if you will. Because if I don't get a letter like that and I go, Billy Doogood, you know where it ends up? In the trash. I don't care who Billy Doogood is. Why would I spend my time reading this thing? Why would I invest any juice reading it when I don't even know who the guy is? And so here, Paul has never been to Rome. He's writing this letter to a, a group of people who had started a church. They were just average, faithful people. No apostle had ever been to the church at Rome. No apostle had ever preached at the church of Rome. These were probably Christians who came to faith in Christ in the early book of Acts. You had the 3,000 that gave their life to Christ, were baptized. Probably many of them made their way back to Rome, and they were now this group of called out people meeting in a home. They didn't meet in a building like this. Paul was aware of this church, and he's gonna write to them. He wants them to know something about themselves. Contrary to what the Roman Catholic Church teaches, Peter did not start this church. Peter had never been to the church at Rome. In fact, look down at verse 11 of Romans chapter one. Paul says, for I long to see you that I might impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, is what my Bible says, the ESV. Most Bibles say to uh, 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 like establish you. That's a better word. Well, here's the deal. If Peter had been there and started that church, it would have been established. Turn to Romans chapter 15, real quick. Just turn there, real, real quick. In Romans chapter 15, in verse 20, Paul says this. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, least I build on someone else's foundation. Listen, if Peter had been there, Christ would have been preached. Peter was not ashamed of the gospel. If Peter would have been at Rome, he would have preached the gospel and a foundation would have been laid. But Paul knew no apostle had been there. The gospel had not been preached there. There wasn't a foundation from another apostle there because if Peter would have gone there, he wouldn't have gone and tried to lay on top of the foundation that had already been laid. And so here we have, by the way, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings there. I just want you to know the truth. And when you go through the book of Romans, you're gonna find out a lot of truth. No apostle had ever been to the church at Rome, and that's one of the reasons why Paul wanted to go. He wanted to establish the church. He wanted to preach the gospel there. But he didn't wanna build on anybody else's foundation, any other apostles' foundation. And so what he does is, he's gonna tell them a little bit about himself. 
And I think there's some interesting things here. Number one, verse one says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Paul wants them to know right out of the gate that he was a servant of Jesus Christ. Now the word servant used here is, is really a, the Greek word that means bond servant or bond slave. It's the Greek word uh, doulos. So the first thing that Paul tells these Christians in Rome about himself is that he is a slave for Jesus Christ. I'm a bond slave of Christ. Christ is my master. I want you to know that. Now, what exactly is a, a bondservant? Well, Exodus chapter 21 tells us that a bondservant voluntarily uh, put himself under the authority of his master. A bond slave voluntarily gave up his own rights and freedoms for the privilege of serving his master. A bond servant served his master out of a heart of love. If you look up Exodus chapter 21, what would happen is, is this. If you had a slave, after seven years, you had to let that slave go free. This is God's laws. You had to let him go free. You had to set him free. But there were some masters who were like really great. They were loving and they, they, they were very compassionate and caring and they treated their slaves with great honor and great respect. A master had to put a roof over your head. The, the master had to feed you. Uh, the master had to, I don't know, take care of all your health benefits and, and all of that. And so some of these, you know, slaves really loved their masters because they were great, great people. And so after seven years, the master would come and say, okay, I have to set you free. And you can read about this, as I said, in Exodus 21. Some slaves said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I don't want to leave you. You're, you're so awesome and great, and I want to become your bond slave. And what they would do is, that person, that slave, would put their ear up against the doorpost, and the master would take a little awl, it was just how you'd pierce an ear back then, and he'd jam it through his earlobe, and he'd have a hole in his ear. And that let everybody know that that person was a bond slave. They were a, a doulos for their master. They voluntarily had become a slave to their master. They wanted to stay with their master. And that's the word that Paul uses here. He's telling these Romans, I want you to know that I have voluntarily became a doulos for Christ. I have voluntarily became his slave. He's so good and wonderful and loving and caring. I want to be his slave. And that's the first thing that Paul wants to tell these people. You see, Paul used to be a slave or a servant to sin and legalism. He was a, a slave to those two things. But now, Paul gladly commits his life to serve the Lord because Jesus was a far greater master than the old one that he served. And we're gonna talk a whole lot more about that, Lord willing, in the weeks to come. So let me ask you a question. Who would you say your master is? Who do you take your marching orders from? Who is it? Who is it that is in control of your life? For most people, the person that's in charge of their lives is themselves, self. I'm in charge of my own life. Nobody tells me what to do. Certainly not some ancient book, some ancient writing. We're gonna talk a whole lot more about that, especially next week. For Paul, it was Jesus. He surrendered his life to be a slave for Jesus. He was a bondservant of Christ. Now, the second thing that Paul tells us about himself is this. Paul was called to be an apostle. Once again, verse one says, Paul, a servant of Christ. I, Paul says, I voluntarily became his slave. Now he tells us something different. 
I was now called. I voluntarily became a slave. But then I was called to be an apostle. He didn't decide to be an apostle on his own. He wasn't elected by the people of the church to be an apostle. He was called by God uh, himself to be an apostle. Now, what exactly is an apostle? There's a lot of confusion out there. So let me, let me clear this up real, real quick. Let me begin with this. Being an apostle was a, was a very special and unique calling that only a few men were given, okay? The actual word apostle was used by the Lord himself when he called the original 12 disciples in Mark chapter three. You can read about it in, in, there. And the word apostle means one who is sent on an official duty or mission or task, okay? Somebody who was sent on an official duty or mission or task, and obviously these original 12 apostles had a, a, a duty given to them, a task given to them that was very unique. And they had a number of responsibilities. Let me give you three of them. Number one, they were used by God to lay the foundation for the church. In Ephesians chapter two, it says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. God used those, those unique men in a special way to lay the foundation for this thing called the church. The reason why Big Valley Grace is here or Cross Point is downtown or Calvary Chapel is down the road or whatever it is, the reason why there's a church today is because of what these very unique men did 2,000 years ago. Which is why Paul says, look, I don't want to come to Rome and lay a foundation on what's already been laid. If, if Peter had been there, a foundation had been laid for the church. Nobody had been there. So Paul, because it was one of the duties of the apostles, he wanted to go there and lay the foundation for this thing called the church. Number two, they were used to receive and write and preach the word of God. Remember, um, there was no Bible back then. And God was, um, these guys didn't know they were doing it, but God was using these men in some very unique ways. God would fill them with the Holy Spirit and they would supernaturally write the very words that God wanted them to write. Just like Romans, the letter to Romans. Now, Paul didn't know that 2,000 years after he wrote the letter on a pinhole in a map called Modesto, California, that a bunch of people were gonna study the letter. He didn't know that. God did, though. And so when Paul pins this letter to this group of believers in Rome, God was supernaturally working through him that he would pin the very words that God wanted him to pin. And the apostles were the ones that God used to go out and preach the, the gospel because there was no Bible. And number three, they were given the sign gifts as a way of confirming that they really were sent from God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, when I was with you, talking to the church at Corinth, I certainly gave you proof that I was an apostle. For I patiently did many signs and wonders and miracles among you. Because there was not a Bible back then, somebody could show up and go, I'm an apostle of the Lord. Well, how did you know? There was no Bible. Anybody could have gotten up there and said anything about God. How were the people to know that this person really was an apostle? Well, God gave those individuals some very unique gifts because there wasn't a Bible for people to check to see if these guys were really accurate. Today, everybody's got a Bible. And if you don't have one, we'll give you one. Most of you got 12. You got 30 on your smartphone you could pick up at any moment, right? Well, back then, these men were given these unique gifts. So people could go, oh, these guys really are of the Lord, you see? 
All this to say that God used these men in some very special ways. Now, I also want to say this, the word apostle in a broad sense can refer to all Christians because every one of us has been given an assignment. Every one of us has been given some official duty. Some of you have been called and gifted to serve in children's ministries or youth ministries or family ministries or music ministries. Some of you have been called or gifted to serve in our men's ministry or our women's ministries or our counseling ministries or whatever. So the original 12 apostles, that's a capital A. I guess on some plane, we could be small A's. Now you can see a bunch of guys on TV and gals on TV that give them their name, you know, themselves the name Apostle, capital A. It's just crazy. Just crazy. And I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings. That isn't my, my goal. But my goal is to simply tell you the truth as best I understand it. And Paul's saying, I'm gonna, I was one of the apostles. And I've showed you at least some thoughts here of what an apostle really is. So number one, Paul was a bond servant of Jesus Christ. And number two, he was called by God himself to be an apostle. And very quickly, n- n- number three, Paul was set apart to share the gospel. He said, I'm a servant of Christ. I was called to be an apostle and I was set apart to do something. I was set apart to be a preacher of the gospel of God. And we're gonna see in the weeks to come, Lord willing, that all of us have been set apart to tell others about Christ. All of us have that responsibility. This was Paul's life mission. Now, now here's the deal. I want you to listen to me very carefully. If you listen to a lot of Christians, you get the impression that they were only set apart from something. In other words, they were set apart not to drink. They were set apart not to cuss. They were set apart not to smoke. They were set apart not to watch TV or go to R-rated movies or listen to secular music. They were set apart from something. Well, here in our text, verse one, it tells us that Paul was set apart to do something. Christian, listen to me. He was set apart to do something, and so are you. Too many times in the American church we have this list of all the things we've been set apart not to do. And we forget that there are some things we've been set apart to do. Now don't you know, get me wrong here. I, I believe that there are some things that God doesn't want us to do. Hebrews chapter 10 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. God has set a race before us. God has set us apart to do something. And we need to be careful that we don't let sin goof us up. I understand that there are some things that we as believers aren't to be involved in. I get it, they're sinful. But too often that's the only thing Christians talk about. Here's what I don't do. Here's what I don't do. Here's what I don't do. Well, let me ask you, what do you do? I know all the things you don't do. And their answer is, here, I'll tell you what I don't do. Or I'll tell you what I do. All these things I don't do. It's crazy. J. Vernon McGee said this, a Christian who is only separated from something and is not separated to something will have a barren life. His life will be without joy and he will become critical and sometimes cynical. And the only thing I would disagree with there is not sometimes cynical. In my humble opinion, it's just all the time you become cynical. You show me somebody who's only, you know, set apart from things and they don't know what they're set apart to do and they're not engaged in the Christian life to do the things that God wants them to do. And I'll just show you somebody who's miserable, somebody I don't even like hanging around with. Beloved, God opened your eyes to the truth of who he was. Somebody wasn't ashamed of the gospel. And he invaded your life. And yes, there are some things that we as believers ought not participate in. Don't miss me here. But here we have Paul saying, I want you to know 
Romans, Big Valley Gracians. I was set apart to do something. And we're gonna find out and discover that all of us who name his name have been set apart to do something. To do something. Uh, I, 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 Jackie's right down here and I told you about her. I saw her at her holding a baby a little bit ago and I'm thinking to myself, um, she gets it. Next week, she's, on Saturday night, she's gonna be out there because she knows she's been set apart to do something. Now, there are things she doesn't do with her life, the things that the Bible says, don't do this, Jackie, don't do this, and she, okay, I'm not gonna do those things. But she also realizes that it's more than that. She's been given a gift, and so next week, out on the patio, she's been set apart to do something. And she's gonna bless us with the beautiful voice that God has given her, the beautiful heart that God has given her, and we're all gonna be encouraged because of her sacred music that she's going to play. I was out there talking with her. She was holding a babe, and I said, hey, listen. In fact, I, this is what I told her. I said, hey, listen, I could be one of your backup singers. <laughs> and then I said this, and some of you aren't gonna get it either, but you old folks will. I said, hey, I could be like one of the OJs. <laughs> and she looked at me like, what? I said, you know, the singing group, the OJs, they had their little group. And she's thinking, I'm thinking of O.J. Simpson, because she has no <laughs> clue who the O.J.'s were. And I was going, oh, man, I'm like old. <laughs> Many of you, there are thousands of people here at Big Valley Grace that, you know what, you get it. You've been set apart to do something. But there are some of you here, you haven't got it yet. You've been set apart to do something. And Paul goes on and he talks about the fact he was set apart to preach this gospel. And it wasn't a gospel he came up with. He says it was the gospel of God. It was God's gospel. And next week, if God doesn't come back and I don't die, we're going to talk about that. And so everybody stand up. Over in the venue, stand up. Let me pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this weekend. I have just really enjoyed every moment of it, God. So thankful for all of those that understand they've been set apart and they use their gifts and talents to lead us in singing. And thank you for all of those that understand they've been set apart to do something and they fill up all those communion cups and get it all ready and they serve so faithfully. Thank you for all of those that were set apart and they understand it and they're working in our children's ministries right now, holding babies, doing all that kind of stuff. Thank you, God, for caring about us to the degree that you would gift this man, Paul, our brother, who would go and be one of the great men who established the church. And he preached the gospel, and he wrote these letters that we could all look at and enjoy and learn from, be encouraged by. Father, thanks for your goodness, and I pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. Hey, go, go grab your kids, okay, in a hurry. Go, go get them. Go, go.